be seated. We're nearing the end of our series called Dreamers in the Hands of a Loving God, Joseph, his dad, and the rest of us. Today's sermon is called The Struggle of Reconciliation, and the struggle is real. Okay? The struggle is real. Uh, Joseph, you know, he comes from a very prosperous family, but it's dysfunctional. Uh, There's been generations of dysfunction leading up to Joseph's life. They repeat themselves. They get worse. Uh, And the family has been shattered and torn apart by an injustice done against Joseph about 20 years prior to this text. And then there's been 20 years of frosty silence after the injustice. The family lives in different countries. They're not talking to one another. They don't even know who's, who's alive and who's not. Um, this wasn't what Joseph hoped for. You know, this was not his dream for his family. Joseph, God gave Joseph a couple of dreams when he was a young man of his family gathered together around him. And yeah, they were, they were paying their respects. They were bowing down, but they were there in his dreams. The sun was there. The moon was there. The 11 stars were there. The sheaves of wheat were there. All of his brothers and his father and his mother. The climax of his life was a relational climax. Not a vocational one per se. Vocation was important. But relationships is what he dreamed about. Don't forget that. And this was not what he dreamed about. He's in Egypt. He's the only one from his family there. And he's isolated. He's behind a cloak of his own power. But he doesn't have access to his family. Beyond the one that he... The sons that he is born. And the wife that he has. And that's important too. But where was his father? And where was his brother's? It didn't match up with God's vision for his family either. God promised his great-grandfather Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and in in you, your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But they're not a great nation. They're fractured. They're dysfunctional. They're disconnected. Have your relationships matched your expectations and your dreams? Most of us, you know, our lives are less dramatic than Joseph. But the struggle is still real. Uh, There's the struggle with the family we came from or the family we have. Uh, Every day in a family, people hurt one another. They sin against one another. You can't help it. That's the nature of relationships. You wrong one another. And bit by bit, you, you wear away at the original trust don't you? When we sin against one another, we chip away at trust. Maybe not as dramatic as a fashion as when Joseph's brother sold him into slavery, but the same dynamic is at work. Struggle with a friendship, uh, a relationship we're in, um, or maybe a friendship we had. Uh, and you get close, the stakes are higher, maybe they gossiped about you, betrayed you in some way, dissed you. Struggle with marriages or romances or engagements, past or present. Severed or living. There's a struggle with the church community too. Our hopes are so high for a church community, our vision, our dream, everything God speaks of the church and speaks of his people and then we see how it works out in real life, doesn't match up and there's hurt, there's a loss of trust. There's a struggle. The struggle's real. 
sometimes these relationships struggle. Sometimes they hurt us. And sometimes they're just utterly ripped. Sometimes they're utterly torn apart, never to be healed again. Uh, at least not right now, at least not what we can see. Many of us have, have broken relationships on our heart. These severed people we don't talk to anymore. Uh, people we can't talk to anymore. Maybe they're, maybe they're deceased. In our heart, in our history. Um, wherever your struggle is, I want to invite you to see how Joseph's family reconciles. I do. I want to invite you, no matter where you're coming from, whatever the level of trust you have or whatever has been severed or broken, I, I really hope that all of us can gain some insights from this story, from this bit of history. And I'm also praying for you and for me that all of us gain some perspective on what God is doing to reconcile all things through His Son. And when our relationships break down, and whether they're reconciled or not, that perspective can be the difference between healing or quitting. So we need the perspective about what God is doing in history to unite all things to himself through his son. So what will it take for Joseph to reconcile uh, with his family? What will it take for his shattered family to become like to just all those shards to be made into a, a mosaic or stained glass? Um, as we're going to see in our story today, it's not by pretending everything's okay. Don't try that. Don't go to a severed relationship and just pretend, oh, it's cool, I'm smiling, you're smiling, jokes. You know, the struggle's not real. Don't do that. Joseph doesn't do that. Um, it's not by pretending everything's okay. It takes a severe mercy to heal a severed family. It takes a severe mercy to heal a severed marriage, a severed church, a severed friendship. A severe mercy is required. What do we mean by severe mercy? Severe mercy is restorative pain that reverses destructive pain. Let's illustrate. Think of what a knife can do. Um, a knife can be used like a dagger to inflict a wound in the hands of someone who's, who's full of anxiety or, or, or who's angry, um, they'll cause destructive pain with that knife. Um, and that's the kind of pain that tore apart Joseph's family. But consider also that a knife could also be a surgeon's scalpel. Um, and in the hands of a, of a skilled and loving doctor, uh, medical professional, that surgeon's scalpel could bring healing that's restorative pain. It's still, it'll still hurt, but it will restore and bring together what has been torn apart. Joseph's family needs restorative pain to heal the destructive pain. You need, you need restorative pain to heal destructive pain. Um, it takes a severe mercy. It takes a truth and love brought together. And, and that's painful when you've been torn apart. Um, to heal a, a severed family. And the same is true with a severed relationship, a severed friendship, marriage, church community. Before I, I go any further, let's just clarify that there's a real difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, forgiveness is when you personally release someone from a wrong they inflicted upon you. And that's, that's a process. It's a process that sometimes has to cycle through a few times or a lot um, to stick. It's difficult, but it's very freeing, and I commend it to every one of you. It's a right and good thing for, for all of us to forgive people in our life or in our past. You can even start this morning. 
Maybe that's the call of God on you this morning is to forgive. But reconciliation is different. Reconciliation is a social process, right? And, and it's where trust that has been broken is then restored between two or more people. And it really, you know what? It takes wisdom to know if it's time. Like with anything else in relationships, timing is everything. And the approach is everything. And so we really need wisdom to know whether or not reconciliation is right for this relationship at this time. And as we'll see in Joseph's family, this, this is the, it, it takes 20 years, but it happens. Let's consider his family. Do you know why reconciliation took so long? Why did it take so long? Um, Joseph's brothers stuffed him in a pit, and then they sold him as a slave. And before that, their dad was playing, very clearly he was playing favorites which is a very painful thing to undergo. And then before that, there Esau was playing favorites. And it was just and then there was polygamy and kids from different wives and favorites and hierarchy and it was a mess. And there was a breakdown in trust because people were sinning against one another and they had no remorse at all. And you know that sometimes in relationships severing is good. You know think about this. Think about an abusive husband. Who's, who's, who's abusing his wife and kids emotionally, financially, physically. Usually it's subtle before it's really clear. Um, that husband shouldn't be trusted. It's best, it's tragic, but it's best for that family to be separated from that abusive man. That's a severing that, because they can't trust him anymore. And, and there was all kinds of trust broken down in Joseph's family. And until, the, until there was change in the people, and an acknowledgement of sin, there could not be reconciliation. Um, it's not good to try to, this is why pretending doesn't work, you'll get hurt again. Unless someone's changed. Um, so the brothers couldn't trust the father because he played favorites and formed an unholy hierarchy between his sons. Um, based on which wives he loved the most. In return, the father couldn't trust the sons because... Uh, they tricked him into believing that Joseph was dead. Maybe he did trust them, but he shouldn't trust them. Okay, so there's lots of water under the bridge. And it's just important for you to, it's important for me to consider what the water under the bridge is. You know, Joseph says at the end of his life, you meant it for evil, and that's an honest statement. You, you meant it for evil against me. That's truth. Um, so, What's the water under the bridge for you? What's the truth for you? What do you need to acknowledge? That's kind of the first step. Maybe it's a trusted friend that gossiped about you, lied about you. They used personal information that you shared in a moment of trust. They used it to deconstruct you to others. Or maybe it was a trusted person who crossed major boundaries, emotionally, sexually, physically, whatever, um, whether... They, they crossed the boundaries of someone you loved or they crossed your boundaries, whether you were the one crossing the boundaries or it was them. That's where trust is broken down. Maybe it's just, you know what, for most of us, it's just a small misunderstanding. It's, an, it's, a, it's a badly interpreted facial expression, badly interpreted throwaway phrase. And then over time, that crusts over. And it starts to infect and it never quite heals. And that's a way that trust can break down true. John Gottman, um, who does relationship research, talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse that destroy marriages, and he says that their criticism, um, which is like personal attacks, 
contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. And all of those will just, those will just kill trust. They'll just burn through all the trust. And so, what's the destructive pain in your past? The stab wounds that have never healed. Just admit those things. Um, sometimes it's a good thing when there's, it's like when someone has overdrawn their account and the ATM goes, I'm taking your card. You came to get money and I'm taking, your mon- I'm taking the card away. Because until your financial behavior changes, you shouldn't have an ATM card. You shouldn't be able to spend money with it. You're done until you've, until you've changed. It's tragic, but it's necessary. Um, and it was deeply tragic for Joseph's family, not only for them, but for the salvation of the world. They weren't accomplishing their mission as a family because trust had broken down. There's no plan B in Genesis. This is the family that God wants to bless and use to bless the nations. So it's really tragic. So severe mercy is required. The Lord needs to bring the heat so they can see the light. And there's three sources of severe mercy for this family, to bring this family together. You have God, who's the primary source of severe mercy. But then God uses two human agents to complete the process in his power. Um, this, this sermon is not meant to make you an expert in severe mercy. Don't try this at home. This is, not, this is professionals only, as it were. Um, there are people in our congregation who do this for a living. Talk to them. Um, you can make the process work by trying your hand at severe mercy. So be patient, get some training, consult with a third party, read up. We'll talk about that later. But let's talk about the first source of severe mercy, which is God. The, the reconciling God. The God we need to wait for. God is the source and the primary source of severe mercy Genesis 42.1 says this, When Jacob learned that there was, there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And what a, what a diss. I mean, what a, like, come on, Jacob. Why do you got to talk that way? Right? <laughs> Why do you got to be so mean? Um, but then they're just looking at one another. He's like, hey, we're hungry, and you're just sitting around. Why are you sitting around? Verse 2, and he, and he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. Severe mercy. God is allowing the famine to, to press on this family. You, you can't stay the same, family. You're going to get hungry, and your hunger is going to take you down to Egypt. You can only heal um, and reconcile uh, once your hunger has gotten you out of the current mess that you're in, the current stalemate. The stalemate can only be broken by the famine. And this is crazy that the famine is threatening. From their perspective, the famine feels like this maybe will destroy us. Maybe it will be the end of us. But this is God's signature move. No, no, no. This isn't. This is here to save you. And some of us are saved and some of our relationships are indeed saved by crises. Sometimes health comes out of crises. You can even see this in workplaces. In the ER, there's a lot less room for drama and manipulation and backbiting in an emergency room because there's always a crisis. You can't spend time on, on, uh, on festering wounds when you have to take care of someone who it's life or death and you have to work together. You have to work through, the, through your issues. And this family needed a crisis to highlight 
the brokenness and to bring them together. Um, some of us have experienced such a crisis in our friendships, such a crisis in our families. When there's an illness in the family, when some, someone's about to die, the family comes together. Um, you have an emergency, you have a fire, you have, you have a financial crisis. The unresolved issues sometimes are able to be worked out because of these crises. Um, this famine is a severe mercy from a loving God. Some of us need to see that these crises that come in our life are instigated by a loving God um, who is doing something more than just making us hungry. And now God are, is going to use two men within the family as agents of his severe mercy. And the first one is no surprise, it's Joseph. Once, uh, once his brothers comes down to, to seek grain in Egypt, Joseph recognizes them. And, and, and I'm skipping over some chapters because there's a lot of chapters, so I'll summarize for you. Um, so Joseph sees his brothers and he recognizes them. But it would be a bad idea for Joseph to pretend everything's okay, right? He's not just like, hey guys, I'm Joseph, let's hug. The last time he saw them was when they were selling him, trafficking him. He doesn't know that they've changed. He doesn't know if they've changed. So he has to test them. And he has the power to test them. And so he uses that power. Um, he, uses it to, um, he uses feasting and frosting to test them. He's very cold and accusatory with them, but then he also feasts with them. And he want, he's using these things to see what's underneath. When the pressure's on, what comes out? So in chapter 42, when the brothers come down for the first time, there's 10 of them bowing down to him. And verse, chapter 42 says he remembers his dream. And in his dream, there were 11 bowing down to him. And so as with Pharaoh's dreams, he wants to, to acknowledge that God gave him that dream as a 17-year-old, and he's going to use it as guidance for the process of reconciliation. He doesn't see 10, or he doesn't see 11, he sees 10. So he starts to press on them. He accuses them of being spies. They're like, no, 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 we're not spies, we're not spies. We have a younger brother. And so he's like, okay, you need to go bring that younger brother down to me because we all need to be together. Go get him. Go bring him down. But he's the favorite. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, so he keeps Simeon, one of the older brothers, hostage until he sees the 11th brother. So when they return with Benjamin, the favorite, um, and all 11 here, here's what he does. He, he takes the favorite and he's like, all right, let's have a big party, but the favorite's going to sit with me, and all of you guys get to sit at the kids' table, the Canaanite table. No, no, the Egyptians will eat over here, the Canaanites will eat over here, because this one's my favorite, too. And I'm going to give him a lot more food than I'm going to give you. Because he wants to see, are they going to resent him like they resented me? This is Joseph's full brother. Benjamin was, was the only full-on full blood brother that he had. The others were half-brothers. So he wants to know, what about Rachel's other son? Are you going to hate Rachel's other son like you hated me? But they just, they seem to be totally at peace. So they pass the first test. But then he puts his brothers through one final test. Um, and that's in our reading today. We, we read about this final test. He makes it possible and advantageous for his brothers to cut the favorite loose in order to save their own skin, just like before. He makes it possible for them to be like, hey, let's just, let's just sell this guy into slavery to win our freedom. 
very familiar to what happened 20 years ago, and he wants to see what they'll do. Um, so chapter 44, verse 1, not to be confused with chapter 42, verse 1, says this. Then Joseph commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, the favorite, with money, with his money for the grain. And, and he did as Joseph told him. What's, what's Joseph doing? He's framing him. Benjamin's a thief. Benjamin's a, he's stealing. And, and, and all of you brothers have every right in the world to just let him, to just cut him loose to save yourselves. Verse 11 of chapter 44 says this. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground and each man opened his sack and he searched beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And then verse 17 says this. Um, Joseph said to his, to his brothers, once they come back and they're like, we're so sorry, he says, far be it from me um, that to, to take all of you as prisoners. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be your servant. But as for you, go to peace for your father. You know, go ahead. You guys should just go. Just the favorite will stay with me. Save yourselves. Joseph is not being cruel, my friends. Um, he's bringing the heat to see what's inside. Um, and what will the heat reveal? Is it going to reveal the same original cruelty, the same original callousness, um, or will it reveal kindness? Um, it's a severe mercy. It's redemptive pain from Joseph. And there's no way around it. There's no shortcut to this. Joseph needs to find out because everything hangs on how his brothers respond. So we've had God who brings the famine. We have Joseph who brings the test. And now we have a third source of severe mercy and it is totally unlikely. It's totally a surprise. The third carrier of severe mercy is the one who 20 years back came up with the plan to sell Joseph into slavery. And then it was the same guy who came up with the plan to dip Joseph's coat in blood and bring it to Jacob and go, oh, gee whiz, dad. You think this is Joseph's coat? Because I don't know. Uh, yeah. and, and, and lets his dad believe that Joseph said, what kind of callousness? Would you ever trust someone who did that to you? The same one who mocked and deceived his father trafficked his brother, is the third source of severe mercy. And he brings the sacrifice of his very life. This is Judah. Judah, one of Joseph's older brothers, the true leader, not the oldest, but the true leader of the family now. Um, he brings the sacrifice of his very life, which is his signature move of leadership. He will allow the severity to fall upon him personally so that he can bear it Instead of, instead of Benjamin. Judah does this through three actions. Repentance, uh, empathy, and self-sacrifice. So let's look at repentance. The first part of verse 16. And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. God has found out the guilt of your servants. This is a, it's a tacit acknowledgement that Judah's past sins against Joseph have been discovered by God, and Judah's not going to try to hide it anymore. 
Um, we know this because earlier in, in chapter 42, the brothers express a deep remorse in Joseph's presence. They don't know that it's Joseph or that he can speak their language, but they express a deep remorse of their actions against Joseph. Um, Judah makes it very clear right here. I'm guilty before God. My conscience feels the weight of what I did. He's repenting to Joseph, not knowing it's Joseph. And, and uh, as a side note, this is one of the, if you ha- have a marriage in crisis, one of the ways to get out of that crisis is to begin repenting to one another. Yes, a third party really helps. Be repenting of all the sins, all the, all the layers and bricks put up as a wall between you and your spouse. Every time you repent, it begins to knock that wall down, and it does so here with Joseph. So he's repenting. Secondly, he's showing empathy. Um, they, uh, Judah had venom against his father for the favoritism of, of uh, Joseph and Benjamin. Um, he resented it. He raged against it. And, and surely this came from the pain uh, of not being loved by his father. They were stabbed to the heart by the favoritism, so they stabbed Jacob back by taking his favorite. But so different is the tone here. Um, It represents years of listening to his father and trying to understand his father rather than judge his father. Verse 30 says this. This is Judah speaking. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up with the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. He doesn't want his father to die. He seems to really understand that his father plays favorites, but the venom about that favoritism seems to be gone, and in its place is a type of empathy, and that's incredibly important. He's gone through the forgiveness process. Um, so rather than throwing Benjamin under the bus, He's willing to step in front of the bus for his dad's life, for his, so that his dad won't die either. He loves the one who has sinned against him. He has empathy for the one who sinned against him. He's used his imagination to try to understand maybe what it, it's like to be his father. And now the climactic turn of the whole story of Joseph is in verses 33 and 34. It's the final act of severe mercy on Judah's part. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Hey, Joseph, let me be the bondservant. Let Benjamin go free. Think about this. He's offering, Judah is offering to make himself a slave in Egypt while the favorite is safely returned to the father. This is a complete reversal of what he did with Joseph 20 years ago. A complete reversal, a poetic reversal of what he did with Joseph 20 years ago. And it's severe mercy in its purest form. My life for yours. My freedom for your freedom. I will experience the severity. I will go under the knife so that you can be healed so that my family can be healed. Judah is prefiguring a role that his great, great to the nth degree grandson, Jesus Christ, will play. He's offering to do what Jesus actually did. Judah looked at Benjamin 
And then he looked at the possibility of Benjamin being a bondservant for his whole life. And then he looked back at, Ju- at Benjamin and he said, you're worth it. And he offered himself to be a bondservant. Jesus looked into the depths of hell. And then he looked at us and he said the same thing. You're worth it. My life for yours. I will experience incredible separation from my father. I will be torn apart. I will let my family be torn apart so that your soul and your families could be healed. And he jumped into the depths of hell on our behalf. Jesus Christ did what his ancestor Judah offered to do, which is to be torn apart from his father so that he could heal a torn family. Jesus Christ stood suspended, as Judah did, between his father and all of humanity, which was estranged from him. Colossians 1 tells us that all things hold together in Jesus Christ. Consider that. All things. Every tie that is important to you is held together by Jesus Christ. And it also says, later in Colossians 1, that through Jesus' blood on the cross, through his death, all things are being reconciled to God. Things in heaven and on earth, because he made peace by the blood of his cross. If you're longing for reconciliation, where there has been estrangement with your family member, your marriage, a friend, a church, seek first to be reconciled to Jesus. It's in him that relationships are reconciled. Be reconciled to him first. Confess your sins. Confess your complicity in the divide. And let him direct the process of reconciliation in his timing. That's where the severe mercy begins. It begins with Jesus. It's, It's prefigured in Judah. Severe mercy in this family has done its work through God, through Joseph, through Judah. The severe mercy, the redemptive pain, it's done its work. And a healing is about to take place. A healing is taking place in Joseph's family. Until this point, Joseph has held his true self back. That 17-year-old hidden underneath the shell, you know, the, all the, the Egyptian mask and the shaved head and face. That all comes down. The dam separating his emotions from his brothers completely bursts. Judah spoke the hard truth in love. He earned uh, Joseph's trust back. And now the dam is obliterated. Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. They were in shock. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this moment? 20 years of unwept tears. And they're all coming out now. And we've seen weeping before in this family. Remember Esau? Remember when Esau, Esau saw he had been completely screwed over by Jacob? And he wept bitterly. But those were tears of loss. Those were the tears, uh, tears of being, there are bitter tears of being torn apart from his brother and his father. Joseph's tears, it's almost like the bookend to those tears because they're sweet tears. They're reconciling tears. They are tears of joy. Esau cried the tears of of a broken bone. Uh, 
Joseph cries the tears of one who's finally able to walk again. And you know what? He has a testimony to. He's going to speak some more truth. Verse 4, he says to his brothers, come near to me, please. And then he says, I'm your brother, Joseph. I'm, I'm your brother, Joseph. You sold me into slavery in Egypt. Don't be angry at yourself. Don't be distressed. For God sent you, uh, God sent me before you to preserve life. Don't you see what this has all been about? God, God, God did this to save you, to save me. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, it was God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and a ruler over all the land of Egypt. It's, it's really important to tell your story when you're being reconciled. Um, it's really important for Joseph to be able to, to give a testimony even of, hey, here's how I see things now. I have perspective about what God has been doing even through your sin against me. You meant it for evil. The second part of that phrase is, but God meant it for good. And that's his testimony in verse 50. Um, in a healing moment, you can speak directly and honestly about sin, hurt, and redemption. And he's, but he's not sitting in judgment against them because God's given him a capacity to forgive. He can see the big picture. As one preacher said, Joseph is able to take God's perspective on the situation, but he does not take God's chair and he doesn't sit in God's judgment chair, but he can take God's perspective. I thought that was a really uh, great insight from this preacher. Um, and so trust, he can, he can be part of the redemptive process. And until you can step out of God's chair, and, but take his wide perspective, you're not ready for reconciliation either. Now that trust has been restored, now that there's been reconciliation, resources and relationship can, can flourish. So in verse 9 and 10, Joseph's like, bring dad down, and I'm going to provide for you. He doesn't say, bring dad down, and, and then you can really bow down to me and really grovel. <laughs> Even when they try in verse 50, he says, don't do that. That's not what this is about. He wants to provide for them, their children, flocks, herds, and all that you have. Um, and verse 14 says, and he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. There's, you know, there's feasting. There's good times. There's a, it's a party. It's healing. It, it's wonderful. This is the fruit of, it's so worth it. This is the fruit of reconciliation. Um, and, and from all this closeness will come a great nation. They'll spend time growing as a family, and, and there will be incredible Growth and, and they will eventually be used by God to bring salvation and healing to the world. Now, what about the rest of us? What about the rest of us? It's so clear. You know, we can see the whole picture with, 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 with uh, Joseph and now with Judah. But how does severe mercy heal our severed families? How does severe mercy heal our severed relationships, severed churches, severed marriages? Well, you know what? I think that we can start where Judah started. And that is with repentance and confession. Repentance and confession. I was wrong. I, I sinned. I was complicit. I, I cut you off. I wasn't fair. I spoke ill of you. 
list the ways to God and when the timing's right, even to the other person, even before you tell them how they hurt you. And then from there you can move to forgiveness, which is, if forg- uh, repentance is saying I was wrong, <coughs> forgiveness is saying I release you. I re- you did mean it for evil, I release you from that evil. I'm honest enough to say that it made me deeply angry. I'm still, in fact, a little angry. But the Lord has given me a capacity to say, I wish you well. Um, and, and perspective to say that God is good and that he will use this in a good way that I don't even know about right now, but he'll use it. So I release you. I don't sit in God's chair anymore, but I have his perspective. One practical way to practice forgiveness is to give a gift to the offender. To give a gift. And you know what? Maybe because of where trust is at, the only gift you can give is that you simply pray for them every day and you never tell them about it. Maybe that's the only gift you can give, but could you even give a greater gift to the offender, to the person who has hurt you? It's a really important step, and in some cases, it's the thing that breaks the dam in the forgiveness process. So there's repentance and there's forgiveness. And then finally, I would encourage you to wait upon the Lord, which is what Joseph had to do and what Judah had to do. And when the timing's right, submit yourself to a third party who can help you and the other person speak truth and love to one another. Because it takes all that. When there's tearing, it takes a severe mercy to heal a severed family. Uh, And I encourage you also, seek prayer from a prayer minister today. Just If you don't even know where to go in this process, you just need to get a little bit of traction. Seek prayer from a prayer minister or a leader here at Emmanuel. We'd love to pray with you. Now you might be asking, what about Jacob? Haven't heard about Jacob. He's a major player in this story. We'll get closure on him next week. And we're going to go back, we're going to rewind one last time before the series is over. Before Jacob had any sons at all, in fact, to the pivotal moment when Jacob was wrestling with God. Everything hinges on that moment for him, and everything hinges on that moment for us. So I I want to invite you to come back next week for our final sermon in our series about dreamers in the hands of a loving God. Let me pray for you.